listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today I want to begin a new series called Falling Fruit, Falling Fruit, and um, we're going to see where God takes us with this. It's going to get interesting. To explain this topic, please allow me to begin with a parable. It's not a biblical parable. It's not from the Bible, but it's still a parable nonetheless. There was a mafia leader's son that sat at his desk, and he was writing a Christmas wish list to Jesus. He thought, man, if I ask Jesus, maybe I'll get what I want. So he's making out his Christmas wish list to Jesus, and he grabs a piece of paper, he grabs his pen, and, and he first wrote, he said, Dear baby Jesus, I have been a good boy for the whole year. I want a new, and he stopped. He looked at what he wrote, and he shook his head, and he crumpled it up, threw it away. He proceeded to get out an, another piece of paper, and on this one, he started a new letter. And he said, Dear baby Jesus, I've been a good boy for most of the year. So I want a new, and he stopped again. He just couldn't proceed, and he shook his head, and he went, ah, and he crumpled it up, and he threw it away. In frustration, the boy asked himself what his mafia father would do. What would daddy do? So then he got this idea, and he went to the living room, and he took his, his mom's statue of the Virgin Mary. And, and, and then he took it to a closet, and he locked the closet door where no one could go in, and he took out another piece of paper, and he wrote, Dear baby Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, <laughs> like father, like son, right? Like father, like son, this series gets its title from the old adage, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. How many of you know that? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Not biblical, but biblical enough, right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It means that a child, whether young or old, can develop the same qualities and characteristics of their parents. It, it happens often. Descendants usually mirror their parents in some way. Sometimes it's physically. You can't get past it. I, I saw a baby in between services in the foyer, and I looked at that child, looked back at the mother, and I said, you can't deny this one because it looks just like her. And, and, and it happens. Sometimes you, you physically, you got your, your hair or your eyes or your nose or whatever. You, you got that from your parents. You can't deny it. Oftentimes, we mirror our parents socially or, or even mentally sometimes. Uh, often, we will mirror our parents spiritually. Depending on the home that you were raised in, you might very well mirror your, your parents spiritually. You resemble their, their spirituality, whether they had spirituality or not. Maybe you glean that from them. But what is interesting about this statement, about this phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, is that it can be used in both a, a, a positive and a negative context. You ever notice that? You can use it in both a positive and a negative context. Let me, let me give you an example here. If a parent is usually quick to offer a helping hand. Sometimes the child might possess that same quality. And so one might say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. On the other hand, on the other hand, if a parent is quick-tempered and the child also shows signs of anger, it could be said, 
The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. If a parent is generous and, and they're a very giving person, and, and then you see the child and the child likes to share, you could say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree with that one. If a parent is sarcastic and, and that child, and I see this happen often, the child develops a, a, a sarcastic personality themselves. It could be said, well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. This phrase can be used both positively and negatively. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 6 and verse 43. He said, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Let me read it to you again because I want to make sure that you, you, you know what Jesus is saying. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. It's obviously it, the fruit that I speak of today are the descendants of parents. Now, now, don't worry. Today is not about me telling you how to raise your children. Okay, that's next week. <laughs> Today, it's really about you. It's about you and what you're the product of. Because whether we like it or not, church, we are the product of who raised us. You understand that? And, and for some of you in the room, it, it, it definitely runs in your DNA, right? It, it's in your blood because you were raised by your biological parents. But I, I'll tell you this. I, I submit to you that it doesn't even have to be your biological parents. It, it can be adoptive parents. It can just simply be the people that have, have spoken the most into your life. Maybe a mentor in your life or, or someone that you looked up to. I'm telling you, you are a product of, of who has, has helped groom you, who has helped raise you, who has helped... You become the person who you are today. One time I was sitting in a pastor's conference and uh, a colleague of mine, a fellow pastor friend, he was sitting next to me. There was a chair in between us. And as we're sitting there um, listening to the keynote speaker, I, I could tell that he was staring at me. And, and that's awkward. That's just weird. I don't know if you've ever had that before. Have you ever had anybody just stare at you? It's just so awkward, right? A little bit, right? Well, I'm just listening to the keynote speaker, and, and I can feel like, like the eyes staring at me. And so I, I looked over at him, and, and, and here's what I did. I was like, <laughs> I didn't say a word, but my expression was like, what are you doing? Like, what's up with you, man? You know, I didn't say it, but I'm like, and the guy just looked at me, and he shook his head. He said, man, you look like your dad. And I couldn't say a word except thanks. Because I was going from like angry like to like, man, you look like your dad. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just, I mean, if, if I would have said anything more than thank you, I'd have been an emotional wreck. Just over the past couple of weeks, dealing with a number of, of pastoral duties myself, I found myself possessing some of my dad's shepherding qualities because my dad loved people, man. He loved, he loved the church, the people that God put him over. He cared for them like a shepherd should, man. And I found over the past couple of weeks some of those instincts coming out in my own life. I had a great example of what a godly man should look like. I'll never deny that. My dad was a God-fearing man. My dad was a man full of faith. Some people called him optimistic. My dad just believed that if you lay hands on the sick and you pray with faith, they're going to be healed. He just believed it. 
My dad was a great man of God. He wasn't perfect. I don't want to paint that picture. He wasn't perfect. But he was consistent. You see, you even learn some things sometimes from your parents on what not to do or what not to be. And, and that's just kind of a, a, a human instinct that we develop sometimes. Um, you don't really need anything supernatural for that. Like, like for instance, I, I, my, my dad, great man, great man. But he, he wasn't perfect, as I said. He had his, he had his flaws. And, and one of those was that dad was such a great pastor that at times his family suffered because of it. Now, I don't want you to think for one second, I never felt love. Man, my dad, from the day I was born to the day he died, I, I'm telling you, my dad made me feel loved. My dad never came up to me ever without giving me a hug. But the one area that my dad struggled in sometimes was, was being all in, all there for his family. And, and there were moments where he was. But, but I only remember my father coming to one basketball game. That's it. I remember looking at the stands and seeing my dad in the stands one time. And so you learn from some of those mistakes. And I remember, I remember saying to myself, I'm not going to do that to my children. And I'm telling you, very seldom did I ever miss a, ba- a basketball game. A lot of times I was the coach, so I couldn't miss. But... I didn't miss talent shows. And as much as I hate pageants, I didn't miss a pageant. I did them. I did it. Because sometimes just naturally you learn from your parents' mistakes. But my dad overall, man, I'm telling you, was a great man of God. And I understand that I'm afforded an opportunity with that that some of you never had. You didn't have a godly example in your home growing up. You, you didn't have what I have. And I count myself blessed and I, I think I'm favored for that, man. God definitely, definitely blessed me on what a godly example should look like. But some of you, you, you had positive influences in your life. But, but then there's others, man. I know I can look in your face right now and you had a less than stellar example in who raised you. And all I can say is I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that you didn't have Jack McKinley as your father. It would make a huge difference, but, but what do you do? What do you do now? I've shared this part before, and, and I think it begs for me to share again, but we're, we're made up of, of three things, really. The first thing you're made up of is seed, seed. Uh, it's what your parents gave you. Like, it's, it's in your DNA. It's who you are. You can't change that. Um, you can't pick the family that you're born into. It just, it is what it is. And so there's, there's natural seed that's, that's in your life. The, the second part is this, deed. Deed, that's our behavior. That's our actions. This is how you function in society. It's, it's how you do life. And it encompasses your, your words. It encompasses your actions. That's your deed. And the final part is heed. And, and many people don't have this. Some people do, but many people don't. Heed. It's, it's your biblical convictions and, and even restraints. Like you've drawn a line and said, I'm not crossing that line. I love the Lord. I want to please the Lord with my life. I fear the Lord. And, and, and so you have these, these, these God-given convictions in your life. And, and here's the great thing about heed is that can be passed down from generation to generation. It, it can be passed down to us or it can be learned on our own accord. So listen, even if, even if you didn't have a godly example in your life, you can still pray and say, God, give me some godly convictions in my life. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in my life. You see, that's the problem with some of our homes right now is that we need to be praying, God, 
I, I just don't want to be like the world. I want, don't want my family to live like the world. Show me where we need to put some boundaries in our own life so that our lives can be pleasing to you. Separate us. Call us out. Sanctify us. Separate us as separate from the ways of the world. Now, here's what you need to understand about seed, deed, and heed. Every deed produces a seed. There's no other way around it. Whatever you're doing, I promise you, it's producing seed. And that's why we should process every deed through the heating process. In other words, you've got to ask yourself this. Everything has to be filtered through this. How does what I'm about to do line up with my convictions in God's word? Imagine how different your home would be if you actually prayed, Lord, before I do this, before I buy this car, before I purchase this home, Lord, before I chew that coach out, Lord, before I set up the the parent-teacher meeting, Lord, before I post this on Facebook, Lord, before, before I do this, how does it line up with your word and my personal convictions? I'm telling you, if, if we, just us, if, if, if we could start filtering everything in life through that one statement right there, it would not only change our personal world, it would start changing the world around us. Now, over the next few moments, I would like to give you a biblical example of, of how our character often reflects how we were raised. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. True life stories of some, some particular people. We're going to follow three generations here. That's very important, and I'll, I'll get to that next week. But we're going to follow a, a father, his son, and the grandson. We're going to follow this. We're going to see how this plays out. But let me show you how our character often reflects how we were raised. Genesis chapter 12. Let me begin with verses 10 through 20. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Now that feels like a compliment, doesn't it? It's like, what woman does not want to hear her husband say, honey, you are beautiful in appearance. It's not going the direction you think it's going. He says, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister. What woman does not want their husband to to say, hey, just tell everybody you're my sister, you know? Not a woman on this planet. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman, woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram, And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. In other words, Pharaoh blesses Abram because of his what he thinks is his beautiful sister. Like, I'm going to marry your beautiful sister. Let me give you some riches. Let me give you some, some, some people, some employees to work for you and give you all the livestock you need. So he blesses him with that. Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why, didn't you not, why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? 
Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Guys, this is a messed up story. Because let me tell you, when it's, the Bible says that he took her as his wife, I'm trying to be so careful. I can't wait for marriage conference weekend because marriage conference Pastor Rocky is different than Sunday morning Pastor Rocky, okay? It's all married couples in the room and say whatever I want to. How many of you understand that as his wife, they would consummate the marriage? And apparently, Abram is more concerned about his life than he is his wife. It's messed up. So, so let's do this. Let's fast forward now 20, 25 years later. It's the same husband, it's the same wife, but God has started calling them by a little bit different name, okay? Abram has become Abraham, Sarai has now become Sarah. Same people, Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, so he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, and Abraham, said, and Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by, by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent, an innocent people? Did, did he him, not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. That's interesting. Return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. I need to address that because I know some of you in the room are like, wait, what? This man has just pawned his wife off as his sister to save his hide twice that we know of within 20, 25 year span. I'm certain it was probably more than that, but, but more times than that rather. But, but yet the Bible and even God himself in this dream still refers to, to Abraham as a prophet. Now, let me tell you, the scripture tells us that the gifts are without repentance. And what that means is that sometimes God just bestows upon certain individuals a spiritual gifting, if you will, that, that it, it doesn't really matter how they live their life. God is going to be glorified one way or another. It's really not about the individual. It's more about the people that are being blessed by it. How many times, how many times have we watched as men and women of God that they preach God's word, they, they, it, it, it seems on the surface that they've got it all figured out, only to find out later that their personal life is in shambles and they're sinning against God, they're sinning against their marriage, they're sinning, and, 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 but yet we're still seeing people come to know Jesus Christ, we're still seeing people healed, we're still seeing people delivered. How is it? How does that happen? It's because the gifts are without repentance. And what you have to understand is God's still going to get glory because we're all failed vessels somewhere in here, Okay? We're, we're all, our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's why we have to be covered in the righteousness of Christ. None of us are worthy to do this. I'm not worthy to stand behind this pulpit. I know that. I understand that, but yet he allows me to. So what we, the questions that come to our mind is like this. Are, are those people that come to know Jesus Christ, 
are they any less saved because they're sitting in the pulpit? Because a leader is, are they any less saved? And the answer is simply, no, they're not any less saved. They're fully saved. They, they are completely saved. It's, it's not about this person. It's about what Christ has done for them. And, and so even in the middle of his sin, God still calls Abraham a prophet. And he says, listen, you want to return this man's wife? Yes, he's stupid. He made a dumb mistake here. But you need to return this man's wife because he's a prophet and he, he needs to pray for you. Now, understand that taking the, the ministry side away from this, there's still an issue that is plaguing this home and this marriage and this family. It's turning into a big issue. I understand everybody makes mistakes. Amen? Okay. For those of you that are holier than thou, you need to get, understand that we all make mistakes, right? Somebody say amen if you, if you made a mistake this week. Somebody say amen if you made a mistake today. All right, all right. Everybody makes mistakes. Granted, telling Pharaoh that his wife was his sister is a big mistake. One that I don't want to make. Trust me, I don't want to make that mistake because my wife is not going to be like Sarah. She's going to beat me. We all make mistakes. But mis mistakes turn sinful when they be become habitual. Hear me out. Mistakes become sinful when they become habitual. When you keep making the same mistake over and over, you keep sinning against God over and over, you keep going against his word and you know that you shouldn't, you keep making the same mistake over and over and over, that's habitual sin. And when that happens, you are now sinning against God. I want you to listen to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. Anyone who continues to live in him, that's in Jesus, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. So if you allow habitual sin to keep coming up in your life and taking over your life, Scripture's saying you, you, don't, you don't understand him. You don't know him. You don't know his heart. Romans chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 Sin is no longer your master, for you, are no long, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? And I love what he says. Of course not! Exclamation point. He asked this. He says, okay, we have grace. How many of you are thankful for grace? Amen. So we have grace. It's the freedom of God's grace that we have in our lives. He said, because you have the freedom of God's grace, does that mean that you can keep on sinning? And it's almost like he says, you morons, of course not. No, you cannot keep on sinning. And here's where we've messed up. Don't mistake grace. Church, you've got to understand it. Yes, grace is great. It's greater than all our sins. Thank God for his grace. Grace is powerful. But don't get it wrong. Some people believe that, that grace is your get out of jail free card. And yes, grace does free us from our past mistakes. I, I guess in a sense, it does bail you out of sin. It does not, however, give you the right to keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. It's like, it's like okay, you're being pardoned. You robbed a bank and, and, and you're in prison, but, but the governor says, I'm going to pardon him. I'm going to let you out. 
you get out and you go rob another bank. Do you think that same pardon, that same grace applies to the next? No. You cannot, you must not keep making the same mistakes again and again. And what's even worse is that some of these sins, hear me, hear me, hear me. God, this is tough. You did not know I was going here, but I'm going there. Some of these sins are hereditary. Ooh. This is, we're about to dig through some layers here, guys. I'm, I'm telling you, you didn't sign up for this. You didn't walk in today knowing that it was about to get like this. But I'm letting you know you're about to figure this thing out. But you got to dig deep. Because there's some things that keep haunting our lives and sinful nature and sinful lifestyle that it didn't originate with you. It started with your parents. Or it started with their parents. And there's even some sin that started with their parents and their parents. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's hereditary. And it keeps showing up because nobody wants to deal with it. And so you saw your dad do it. So you do it. Your, your mom acted that way. So you act like that. In Genesis chapter 20 where we see a habitual sin uh, taking over Abraham's life, in between chapter 20 and Genesis chapter 26, there's a significant event that takes place because now Isaac has been born. He is the promised son of, uh, 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 to, to uh, Abraham's life. And, 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 and so this is, this is a cherished, cherished child. But let's fast forward into his young adulthood. Okay, we're going we're gonna to skip the, the birth of, of, of Isaac. We're going to skip adolescence. What we're going to do is we're just going to go right into his adulthood. Genesis chapter 26, verses 6 through 11. So Isaac, remember this is Abraham's son, the man that said, she's my sister, at least twice that we know of, okay? Habitual sin. This keeps coming up. So Isaac, Abraham's son, settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. Look at somebody next to you and say, I got it from my daddy. It's not my fault. I got it from my mama. This didn't start with me. It didn't start with Isaac. This is learned behavior. We know that his dad was guilty of this. And he is exhibiting the same behavior that he saw from his dad. She is my sister. And he feared to say my wife thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Yeah, I think Abimelech had more fear of God than Isaac had. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Church, the exact same sin that derailed his father is now haunting his life. Now listen to me, I've been in this, this thing for a long time and through 25 plus years of full-time ministry, I have observed 
the greatest and the worst of parents. Some of the greatest kids that I have ever known, and I was a youth pastor for nine years, listen to me, some of the greatest parents that I've ever known, or greatest kids that I've ever known, I've, I've realized they reflect their parents because they, they love like their parents, they reason like their parents, they're responsible like their parents. But also, on the other hand, some of the worst kids that I have ever known are the ones that also reflect their parents because they hate like their parents. They reason like their parents. They're irresponsible like their parents. They're racist like their parents. It's, it's a learned behavior. Nobody just wakes up one day saying, I'm going to hate somebody. It's seeds that are planted in their life through, through deeds. Deeds produce seeds. And, and this stuff happens. And I'm telling you, some of the worst kids I've ever seen on this planet, they, they, they are a, a, a spitting image. The apple does not fall far from the tree. And I've seen some children, and I realize unless God intervenes, they will grow up to be insecure like their mama, mean like their daddy, hateful, irresponsible, timid. I mean, the list goes on and on. And we label these off as character flaws that they learn from one parent or the other, or maybe both. Maybe they're a mixture of, of all the bad qualities of their parent. And we just say, well, it's, it's a character flaw. And it saddens me, church, to think that unless someone surrenders it to God, it's going to haunt not just that generation and not the generation before, but it's going to continue haunting the future generations that come down the pike. And somebody at some point has got to take a stand and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord with our mouths. We will serve the Lord with our actions. We will serve the Lord with our love. We will serve the Lord. Whatever, whatever it takes, we are going to reflect the love of God. Let's fast forward. We're not done. Genesis chapter 27. Isaac, Abraham's son, Remember, Abraham started this whole thing. Isaac is now a father to twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Watch what happened. Genesis 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me de delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebecca, remember beautiful Rebecca? Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the, the Lord and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I commanded you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats, two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves, and you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Now listen, Jacob gets a raw deal. Everybody always says Jacob is the deceiver in all this, and he is. He plays a part in it. But listen, he's a direct descendant, not only of his father, but, but it's a double whammy because mama is putting, on, putting all this deception in his heart too. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. 
Perhaps my father will fill me and, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Now listen, for, before I go any further, let, let me explain this to you. Everything, a, a, a man's word, it meant everything. And so as they're talking about receiving this blessing, whatever his father says to him, Whatever blessing he bestows upon him, it's going to come to pass. It meant something in that society. And when she looks at him and says, listen, if you're busted, if you're caught, then whatever curse comes upon you, I'll take it upon myself. All words mean something in this. Verse 14. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Another lie. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Now, now listen. The paternal blessing that followed this instance entitled him to not only be the leader of everything that his dad possessed, everything that his dad owned, everyone would answer to him, but it entitled him to a double portion of his father's inheritance. And so he lied to his father to get the double portion blessing, the double inheritance that was meant for the older brother, the, the, the twin that was born first, Jacob, or Esau rather. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, church. You learn deception from those who you learn deception through. And Grandfather, father, it, it is just deception flows in this family. Jacob learned a lie from his father Isaac. Isaac learned a lie from his father Abraham. And, and what seems like this innocent character flaw has now turned into an orchard of sour apple trees. It, it, it's not just affecting one man's life. Now it's affecting generations what started off as, as what seemed to be an innocent little lie has now affected the entire family for generations to come. And, and understand, it, 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 it's, it's not just a child acting like a parent. It's a parent acting like a child. And, and it's generations all living out that same sinful lifestyle with no accountability to anyone 
And church, I declare today, hear me out, because some of you, this is painful. You know now, I'm answering those questions. Why do you keep struggling? Why do you keep going through what you're going through? Why can't you get rid of that addiction? Why can't you say the right things? Why can't you do the right things? Why, why? And I declare that we are not our family sour apples anymore. You, listen to me, you don't have to be an alcoholic like your mother. You don't have to be an alcoholic like your father. I declare today you will not be a womanizer like your father. You will not be an adulterer like your mama or like your father. You will not be an overspender. Hear me. You're like, well, that doesn't seem very serious. It it never does. But it's passed down from generation to generation. For some of you, you just got a problem with your mouth and you got it from your mama. Chances are she got it from her mama. Because here's what it looks like. It's how God made me. I'm just brutally honest. Don't come to me if you don't want to know the truth. No, it's not honest. You're just brutal. You're just mean. And it's time that you allow the Holy Spirit to take over what comes out of your mouth because I'm telling you, you are crushing people. You're wounding their spirits with every word that comes out of your mouth and it's not godly. And and, and you, you think, well, I got it from my mom. Well, she got it from her mom, but somebody's got to stand up and say, it it stops with me. It's time to break that cycle. I, I do not have to be who they were. I don't have to follow that same pattern because you're not your family. You came through your family, but you do not have to succumb to the sinful nature of past generations. Somebody's going to be set free today. I'm I'm telling you, today is a changing moment for you. This is a turning point in, in life for you because someone's got to declare it ran in the family until it ran into me. Let me, let me, let me say it this way. It might be in your DNA. It might be in your bloodstream. But if you're a child of God, the blood of Jesus Christ made a way. It's not about DNA. It's about the way. And the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to your life. And and let me tell you, when that sinful lifestyle runs into the blood of Jesus, it has to give way. It cannot penetrate. It cannot go. Sin stops now. Ephesians 5 and 1 says, imitate God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said, imitate God. If you want to find somebody to, to pattern your life after, he says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you, you, you are his dear children. I don't care who your daddy was. You don't have to succumb to that sinful lifestyle anymore. It stops today because it stops with me. It stops with you. We are part of a new family, and it's the family of God. There's things that I didn't have to deal with that some of you had, you, you've had to deal with, you've had to process it, you, you've had to, to let these wounds heal and become scars in your life because of the way that, that you were treated, because of the sins that were performed against you, because of the addictions that's been passed down from generation to generation. But let me tell you, there's a reason why I didn't have to deal with that. And I don't, I don't take this lightly. Because I'm only one generation removed from someone that, that did have to deal with it. Because my father looked at his family tree. And he recognized the sinful nature of addictions that ran in his family. 
And my dad found Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior as, as an adult. And my dad made a decision that it stopped with him. He had brothers, family members that, that struggled with addictions. Passed down from generation to generation, but my dad said, it stops with me. And next week, I, I'm going to show you how to break this cycle so that future generations will not have to fight the same battles. But let me tell you, there's people in this room that you're going to fight these battles. It, my dad fought those battles. And God's calling upon you to fight those battles. You're the first generation that says, no, no, it stops with me. And you'll fight these battles because what's coming after you is that important. My dad looked down the family line and he saw four boys that he knew he had to set an example for. And my dad made a decision that addiction stopped with him. Alcohol, tobacco, substance abuse. It was not going to haunt his family if he had anything to do with it. And I just believe that before we can get to next week, before, and, and I don't want to say it's a pattern. I don't want to say that it's a, a formula. I don't want to paint it like that. But biblically, I believe that, that there, there is a formula for how we end this so that future generations don't have to deal with it ever, ever. And I've watched it be played out in my own family, and I'm going to share that with you next week. However... I know what it takes, what has to happen, what has to transpire today before we can get to next week. What has to happen is there has to be people in the room that recognize I'm dealing with generational demons. You call it curses if you want to. I'm, I'm dealing with stuff that's being passed down and it stops with me. And, and before we can get to the, to the rest of it, somebody's got to take a stand and say, this, this ends now. This ends now. If I have to fight for the rest of my life, it stops now. And you know who you are. And the Spirit of God is asking you to take a stand right now. Because that's the most important step for us to start this. I promise you I'll get you there. But somebody has got to take the stand and say, it stops with me. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.